0: Welcome to the Follow the Leaders podcast, where we get a glimpse into the minds and lives of exceptional leaders and hear about their experiences, insights, and strategies for success. On today's episode, we'll hear from one heart-centered, effective leader and hear about their wisdom and perspective. So get ready to follow along. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so happy to have Zach Gallen, an innovative entrepreneur and leader, join me on the show today. Zach is the founder of Gallen Education, a full service boutique education organization supporting students on their journeys through high school and into college. After graduating from Northwestern University, Zach moved to New York City to lead an academic tutoring and test prep center. During his time in the Big Apple, he joined Teach for America in the South Bronx to teach science, test-taking strategies, and organizational skills. He also earned his master's degree in education from New York City's Bank Street College of Education. Zach moved to Madison, Wisconsin with his now wife in 2010 and brought the business with him. Today, Gallon Education serves over 400 students per year with the help of over 100 tutors, coaches, and counselors in many cities around the country. Gallon Education helps families navigate the complex world of college admissions. And in 2022, Zach helped launch a nonprofit called Gallon Scholars to support students from underserved backgrounds through the college admissions process. Learning that Zach has created a nonprofit is no surprise to me, as he has an extensive history of contributing to the community through serving on the board of directors of countless nonprofits. Zach and his team make a huge impact on the community through the way they bolster the opportunities of youth. And I am grateful that he is here to talk with me today. Welcome to the podcast, Zach.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So let's start with your work life. What does that look like? Can you share the overall big picture of that?
1: Well, I'm not sure if anyone can actually see me, but I'm holding a four month old while I answer (laughs) your questions. So work life is sort of all the time, you're always sort of on, especially as a business owner, I take as much time as I can to hang out with my kids. But morning, day and night, there's always something to do. And I think probably the biggest challenge is there's always more that I want to do. And there's just not enough hours of the day.
0: So yes, I I see that as I observe you from the outside, as you are seemingly everywhere, which we'll get into. And you are indeed holding your baby right now. So in the lens of your work life, Can you tell us a little bit about Gallon Education and what your role is there as the director?
1: Yeah. So at Gallon Education, I guess I started as someone who worked directly with students and families. So that's really where this came from. Uh, Having had classroom experience and then working privately with students and families, uh, it was a natural transition to open up my own shop. And as we started to grow, my time became more limited. And the only way to expand was to bring in people. So I set off on recruiting, hiring, and training the best people that we can possibly find, and then had to deal with what I think was a difficult transition to getting families to be okay with not me. Maybe naming the organization with my name was not the best idea, but it it was already there. And now most of my time is spent on running the business and thinking about what to do with it next. I still see students and they still work in the business. But as I tell my students that I teach who are running their own shops, you need a lot of time to work on the business.
0: So how do you navigate that decision-making about how much of your time and energy goes into the in versus the on?
1: It's tough, especially when I meet a family or a student where I'm like, I would match really well with this kid. We would have a really good time together and I think I can help them, but I'm full. I'm not as good at setting those boundaries as I probably should be, but I've set sort of a cap on how much time I want to spend working with students directly so that I can make time for working on the business. I think as we grow, the biggest challenge is within the on side, if I can use that term, from how do I differentiate time spent on the daily running of the business versus time spent on Being strategic and thinking about growth and thinking about marketing, which is sort of future thinking versus taking care of what has to get taken care of immediately.
0: I think that our listeners are definitely going to be able to relate to that since most of our listeners are either in leadership or aspiring to be leaders. So I think that that question is one that is continuing to be asked by all of us all the time. Let's back up for a second. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Gallen Education does when you say work directly with students? So can you give us a peek into the way that you work with students and families as an organization?
1: Yeah, sure. So so in the organization, we do a whole host of things. So one of those things is tutoring. So if you need a math tutor, a science tutor, a Spanish tutor, we do that sort of work. We work with students who have executive functioning deficits. We work with students who are getting ready for the ACT or SAT or AP exams. We work with students through the college admissions process, helping them to identify colleges and then working with them through the entire process of getting into those schools. And I guess, making a choice at the end of where to go. And then we do graduate school admissions for medical school, law school, and a bunch of other graduate programs. My particular specialty within the firm is on the undergraduate admission side. So when I'm working with students and families, it's on undergrad admissions. I don't know enough about med school admissions, and I don't know enough about advanced placement chemistry to be able to be working with those kids on that.
0: Fair enough. So you have built the team then to handle those things?
1: Yes. So we look for specialists in those different areas to make sure that we can serve a family for the variety of educational needs that they need.
0: So I'm assuming that you are not the one that is managing all of these tutors individually and all of these families. So can you tell us a little bit about how you've decided to structure the overall framework of your business?
1: Yeah. So we have directors who oversee the different pieces of the business or the different services that we do. So we have an education director who oversees the test prep and the tutoring. We have a managing director who oversees the executive function coaching, and we have a director of admissions counseling who oversees undergrad and grad admissions. Um, Then we have an operations director who oversees the billing, payroll, office type stuff. And then we have a director of client services who is sort of the parent liaison, someone who's making sure that the quality of what we're providing is is at a high level. And each of those have teams within them.
0: So I look at you as someone who has really, truly grown and expanded. And I have some other questions about that expansion piece coming up. But I'm wondering, as we talk about the sort of robust nature of your team and all of those moving parts, do you just go off of your gut to manage decisions about how that supervision and that sort of that balance between trusting your team and managing your team, or do you have frameworks for that? You know, I think that's many business owners aim to get where you are right now. And so as that growth piece is often the hardest part.
1: Yeah, I think there's probably two ends of the spectrum on this. And one thing that you may not know is I I teach a business business, development course for the University of California, Irvine, for people who want to get into this field. And we talk about this spectrum a lot. On the one side, you can make really detailed plans and try to perfect them and then never actually do anything because you spent all of your time making plans and redoing them and trying to get it perfect before you even start. And on the other end of the spectrum, you can just sort of fly by the seat of your pants and hope that it all works out. I am definitely on the seat of your pants end of that, which I think it was really good as I was getting started. But I, I think for the size that we are now and the size that we hope to be, I'm not sure that that's going to continue. I, I do micromanage a little bit. I do have a lot of opinions about how everything works in the business. I do let go at times, but it's hard. And I think having systems in place and being a little bit more methodical about how we do things would be be beneficial for our growth. But I also don't know that we want to grow to be so big that we need those systems to be perfected before we execute Mm -hmm.
0: them. That is, it is a tricky sort of dynamic and it's like, yes, grow, grow, grow. But then, yeah, you do kind of lose that hands-on nature, which maybe your busy family would appreciate, but,
1: but. Yeah. And I think even just thinking about like the onboarding process of a family, it's a very manual process right now because it came from a time when we had a few dozen students a year. And so manually onboarding everybody is very time consuming, but it's also very high touch. And so I think within the the shop, a lot of us think that maybe we want to have better systems for onboarding so that it could be a little bit more automated. And then in the same breath, we worry that we're going to give up too much of that high touch piece of our practice. So that's probably the best example of where this plays out. But as we grow, it's just going to be impossible to manually Mm -hmm. onboard every single family for every single service that they do.
0: It's almost like in some areas of our businesses, and my business is very different than yours, but at the same time, there are some similarities in sort of the Continual onboarding process and gaining relationships with new families, efficiency can sometimes be the enemy of the quality. And so I think it's a little bit of balancing that. And you're kind of making me think. So, 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 so yeah. I appreciate that. So, regarding the expansion, when you talked about when you first started, you were, you said 12 families or something like that. You know, so your work is with families that their kids are in school. It's by nature, for the most part, school aged children and their families. And so there's a sort of a limited window of hours per day that you can work with them. And so I'm just curious how you make decisions about expansion in that it seems to me that you have really diversified your offerings. You've gone deeper into the community and offering things like the SEL work and the executive function work versus just pure expansion outward. And so I'm just curious how you make decisions about where to put your time and energy and money into growing, you know, duplicating in different areas and geographic regions or making new offerings.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And it's one that in the education space people grapple with all the time and I think the hours everyone just sort of sort of knows we, we work non-traditional hours because we work with high school kids who are busy maybe middle school kids who are busy we do a lot more work now with college age students who have some flexibility during the daytime and actually they prefer to not work with us in the evenings so that has helped with staffing it's helped with spreading out our work with students directly but as we think about Growth, I think there are a few different ways that we could grow. One is uh, to specialize, pick one thing Mm -hmm. and do more and more and more of it and just keep growing in that one area. The other is geography-based. And so we could just start popping up in different places, which is not my ideal. It's really hard to manage remotely different places. And we're not a franchise model. And we are, again, very we have a lot of manual processes that require a lot of handholding. And so being physically located and then the other, the last sort of growth model that we have chosen is to try to work with families on more things. So we started with test prep and college advising. We moved into academic tutoring. We moved into executive functioning support. We moved into graduate school support. So can we take a family that has, you know, two and a half kids <laughs> Who are spread out every three-ish years, and can we work with them from maybe seventh or eighth grade for the oldest kid until the youngest kid is fully launched? So that could be fifteen years with one family. Mm-hmm. It feels really good because you get to know that family really well, and it builds a sense of trust amongst your customers about you're going to take good care of them and you're going to see them through to the end. So. As we continue to grow, maybe there's additional markets that we take a look at, Uh, but I think mostly we want to do more with the families that we have so that they can have someone they trust continue to work with their kids.
0: So how much of your personality do you think plays into this sort of going deeper into the community versus (laughs) spreading outward?
1: Probably a lot. And I think it says a lot about my ego. (laughs) 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 I like to be... (laughs) Perhaps I just like to be known and and loved. Um, So I, I do think that's a, I don't like to be anonymous and I do think that plays a huge role in what we've chosen to do on our team. I think people like that also, you know, we're not working in a widget factory. We're not trying to sell as many widgets as possible. We're trying to provide experiences for families that they appreciate that they love and, The benefit is not that someone else is going to buy that widget because it was such a great widget. The benefit is that that family comes back and does another service with us and we already know them. They already trust us. It's so much easier to deliver services to them when you've already have a relationship with them.
0: So, okay. So obviously your personality has really impacted the way that you've grown your business as as all of ours have, right? As entrepreneurs getting to steer the ship in our direction. And you have now a very robust organization that has its own needs and its own goals that may differ from your own and may differ from those of your team. And so I'm just curious as the leader of the organization, how do you balance the needs and goals of the individuals with the needs and goals of the overall organization and your own personal needs and goals? And also navigate how those needs and goals can be voiced and may be conflicting at times.
1: Yeah. So we have a mix of people who work for us, right? We have our full-time directors. We have some full-time people who work directly with students. Then we have a a whole lot of part-time tutors and coaches and counselors. And I think ideally we want to make sure that the organization is supporting our full-time folks who have invested in us and who we've invested in as much as possible, as much as as makes sense. So that group, we want to have a voice in how we grow and what we charge and who we hire and how we structure our programs. And so there's a lot of work that we do. I don't want to say consensus work, but we do a lot to make sure that everyone gets a say in what their program is and how it runs. For the part-time folks, I feel very differently. I think they may know that, that we are, you know, job number two or three or four for a lot of people, which is great because we get amazing, amazing people who work with us and sometimes it runs its course. And so when it's time for them to move on, that's great. We're super excited for them. And I think to try to structure the organization around people who may be a little bit more transient, it wouldn't work as well. And so, you know, there have been some suggestions at times from some of those folks that I think make sense for them, but then don't make sense for many other people, nor do they make sense for the organization. And that's sort of a tough conversation, not usually, but it's a conversation where we basically say, yeah, we get that this is not ideal. However, it works really well for 80% of the people, 80% of the time, and it works well for the organization. And we hope you fit into that. But if not, we totally understand that this is not necessarily the best fit for everybody.
0: That's a really helpful framework to kind of think about the stakeholders, how they fit in longevity-wise and priority-wise. So I appreciate that. Okay, so then adding in two other factors that are, you know, you mentioned your sometimes transient staff members. Other things that really change for your business it seems to me on a really ongoing basis are both the college landscape that you have to kind of keep up with and all the the constantly changing material that you i mean I, i'm sure some of it is stable and stays the same but there's so much that is probably changing all the time and then also the families it makes sense that you work with them over time with lots of different offerings but you do kind of need new customers on a regular basis as a leader how do you fit in prioritizing those changing pictures with operating the business and making sure that what you have made happen last year is still functioning well this year.
1: So I'm going to break it into two parts. One, if I think about like students going to college and the high school experience right now, there's a lot of things that got missed during COVID. There's a lot of mental health issues within our student population. And there's a lot of anxiety about getting into college and where you should go and what the name of it is. And we, it it would be really easy for us to say, oh, none of that matters, it's all silly, where you go to college doesn't matter, which I actually believe. But sometimes our kids think that, and you don't wanna be dismissive of how they're feeling and say that their feelings are invalid or that their friends are all worried about something that's silly. Um, but we also don't want to, uh, mislead them about the fact that college rankings are super important because they're not. Um, so we need to find that healthy balance of how do we support kids where they are? Uh, and also how do we give them some truth in, in this process that may be different than what they believe going into it? And, and how do we do that for parents too sometimes? Mm-hmm. And how do we deal with parents and kids who have these differing feelings, And I guess the biggest place that this comes up is when we hear from a kid or a parent or a whole family that where they say, we care a lot about the selectivity of the college that our kid goes to, but we don't want our kid to be anxious. And, and they just, it just doesn't work very well like Uh that. But I understand where they're coming from. I get parents want the best for their Mm -hmm. kids and those two things together to them is the best for their kids. But Wanting to go to a super selective school often leads to more anxiety. Mm-hmm. What I have learned in this business is that kids do the best for them, they're happiest. And so that's sort of what guides us. And the changing landscape of college admissions doesn't really affect that principle. So we continue to try to figure out what are all the options for students and how do we make sure that we can find really great options for them where they're going to be super happy. The... Changes, especially during COVID and after, and now with the SCOTUS decision, have affected a whole bunch of our kids and will continue to affect our kids. And it just means that we have to do more work to learn more about more colleges and more programs and more opportunities and more scholarships. And as long as we keep getting more knowledgeable about the opportunities that are available for kids, we can keep up with all the sort of changes that are around the getting in part that we can be really knowledgeable about the experiences that kids have.
0: That makes total sense. And I appreciate that. I mean, I have three kids and they're all in the tween teen range. So hearing that wisdom from you is very reassuring. And and it's, it is interesting to hear you say that where you go to college doesn't really matter. I love to hear that (laughs) as as the mom of teens. And that seems to be a refreshing shift from when we were growing up that we never heard that from grownups, you know, or I didn't at least.
1: And I think as colleges have gotten more selective, which is the anxious part of it, there are more colleges that have become really strong in terms of the academics of their student population that were not as strong a generation ago. And so often we hear from parents, wait, you are suggesting college X, that school is not academically very rigorous at all. And and I have to correct them and say, actually, that was true 30 years ago, but everything has become more rigorous and that school could be a great fit for your kid. So more and more colleges are becoming very strong in terms of their academic rigor and very strong in terms of their four-year graduation rates and retention rates, which are the two metrics that I tend to use to evaluate, like, is this a place where kids want to stay after their freshman year, and and does the school support them well enough to help them get out in four years?
0: So as the landscape has changed over the last few decades, has that played a role in your decision to expand into opening a nonprofit, or how did that decision come to be?
1: I think we were already doing that work. So we've had, over the past decade, a number of families that have come to us who wouldn't be able to access these services on their own. We've also had families who have paid for our services over the years, offer to Mm. uh, quote unquote sponsor another kid or their kid's friend, or just anybody who comes in the door who we find to be a, a good candidate. And so we took that momentum and turned it into a nonprofit where people can make tax-deductible contributions, and we can have an executive director who kind of oversees the vision and and the logistics of it all to make sure that we have a bigger impact. So I think it was a mix of we want to help students from all different kinds of backgrounds who are looking to go to at least somewhat selective four-year colleges. And we have a lot of families who want to support that too. And the nonprofit was a nice way to marry those two things
0: that totally makes sense. And I'm curious, this discussion, especially in service industries of, you know, it would be great to have a nonprofit entity where we can do more for the community in alignment with the rest of our business. Do you have any insights or guidance or advice for a business owner who might be considering the same move?
1: It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to put it together and to make sure you're dotting all the I's and crossing the T's, especially in education, it's hard. I think and maybe in other industries too, I'd say healthcare also, Mm -hmm. there's this sort of expectation that things are free, Mm -hmm. but they're not like we have lights to keep on and people to pay and and insurance to pay for and the list goes on and on and on. And so having a nonprofit shows, hey, yeah, where there is a business where people who have the resources can and should pay for it, And then there's this nonprofit that's going to serve others who don't have access because of financial issues. So I think it provides a way for business owners to say to potential customers or customers, Hey, yeah, we, we do charge for what we do because we have to, but we also have this other entity that serves people who wouldn't have access. And I think That's reassuring to a lot of clients that we're invested in the community. And I think it also proves our worth that it's not the work that we do is not free. It's not low cost. It's not done on the cheap. And so we need to raise money to do it in that high quality way for people who are not paying for it. Logistically getting started with it. I I think the biggest thing for people who are interested in doing this is just to make sure that you keep everything as separate as possible because you don't Any sign of impropriety or using it as a way to leverage your own business, it really has to be its own thing, which is why we made the decision to hire its own director, who is not me, who doesn't work for Gallon Education. We have a separate board who are not employees or owners of our company, with the exception of me, and had a selection process that involved me in a very small way. So we try to keep everything as separate as possible to make sure that everyone understands that it is a completely separate entity that's going to be supported by Gallon Education, but it's its own nonprofit.
0: And that thoughtfulness carries forward, that messaging that the heart is in it first, that the that the reasoning behind it is put at the very forefront of it, that came across. So I think that's one of the reasons that your company and now your nonprofit are so well respected in the community is because that communication happened. And so kudos to you or whoever whatever of your team that really was thoughtful about that and it it, it makes a difference in how in the vibe check of a business in the community. And I'll bring up
1: one other interesting piece of it which is we as a service organization as a company we get asked for donations and sponsorships and Playbill ads, because we're an education organization. And over the years, we've given a lot of money and services to other organizations. And I think one of the biggest challenges now is how much do we keep doing that versus putting those resources into our nonprofit? And how do those priorities change as a result of having your own own charitable cause? That's a question I don't have the right answer for, but... (laughs) It's one we're grappling with.
0: And then finding a way to communicate yeah. that with like care and clarity, but not a, being apologetic because if the money is just being rerouted, yeah, I get that. It's just like anything, yeah. you know, like any scholarship fund or any, I'm the co-director of a summer camp. And so we were asked similar questions on a regular basis. And so as our business has grown, we're able to put more and more into a scholarship fund and fund more, just an internal scholarship fund and fund more spots. Sure. But when that money runs out, it's, it's sort of that like decision-making, how do we continue to help and serve so kids can have access, but also we have to keep the lights on. As you said, we've got to pay our staff and and all that. So that is, that is an interesting, well, let me know when you find the answer. Okay. I will. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. All right. I have a question. So I know you have a background in camping and in summer camps and, I'm curious, did this leadership tendency come out at a younger age when you were in in camps or even younger? Can you give me some examples of some childhood Zach leadership?
1: (laughs) I think most people would say that childhood Zach was basically an adult, if that gives you more of an insight into my personality. I certainly camp as a late high school and college student was formative in giving me the training necessary to run an organization. I would also argue that extracurriculars like clubs in high school and in college were huge. uh, The only reason I know how to do any of this is, is from my extracurricular work and summer camp work. It teaches you how to be flexible, which as a business owner, you most certainly have to be. It teaches you how to multitask as much as you probably shouldn't, but you have to. It teaches you how to get along with other people It teaches you some marketing skills. The list goes on and on and on, but running an organization, a service business in particular, is very similar to, you know, running your high school DECA club, mm-hmm. if you're doing it in a sophisticated way. And so, I I do think camp was a big deal when it came to that. And having spent so many summers at camp, I certainly learned how to run the business side of it too. So taking those skills I learned in clubs in high school and now applying a sort of cost factor to it was, was big.
0: The number of leaders that I've interviewed on the show and met with that w- really, so many of our skills did come from student council, DECA, the nerdy high school things. It, it really does pay off. It,
1: it really does. And and I in college, I ran our our Hillel, which is the, the Jewish organization on college campuses, and that experience helping to run a multi million dollar budget with a building and a staff and who who didn't report to me as a student, but being involved in some of the decision-making there was incredibly educational. And I'd argue much more so than my classes, which I think were a little bit more theoretical. Mm -hmm. Now, if if I was working for a Fortune 500 company, maybe those classes with their theory would be much more useful to me. But as an on-the-ground service business owner of a small business, the more practical experiences were more useful.
0: So there's never been a before you were a leader Time in your life, but if you were to go back to the Zach of high school or or some of your first leadership roles and tell him a message with like the wisdom that you have learned throughout your later decades, what would you tell younger leader Zach about what's to come and what he could benefit from learning about leadership? Then,
1: oh boy, perhaps being a little bit more collaborative. We'll see who laughs at this. (laughs) I think. When you're a leader in high school or college, and I know if any of my students are listening to this, they'll they'll appreciate this because we talk about it all the time. It is hard to get volunteer high school students who are members of your club to do things. (laughs) And it can be very frustrating. And I I guess it can be similar in a business, but at least in a business, you're hiring people and they're employees and you have expectations. And I, I think my advice to my younger self would be to not take it so seriously. And I'm pretty sure my parents told me that quite a bit while I was <laughs> growing up, okay. but now I'm going to tell myself as well.
0: Fair enough. I can relate and I can totally understand. So you naturally stepped into leadership roles from a young age, but is that, were you encouraged to do that? Is that something that just came from inside you? Did you have someone telling you to do that? Did it? Have, how did you end up on this path?
1: So I am not a gregarious person. I wasn't sort of a popular crowd type person. And I also was not the most confident person. I think that's still true, but I was a good worker bee. And so I think leadership opportunities came because I was able to join an organization, see a need that they had at bring it up and then someone say, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. You go do it and then you sort of take it and do it and do it well. And then hopefully someone recognizes you for doing that and moves you into a position where you can take on more responsibilities. So it was not natural to just jump into a leadership position. It was all a factor of taking on little jobs and roles and growing them over time.
0: Makes sense. Okay. I have a few wrap up questions that are a little more rapid fire to ask you. Let's do it. Okay. Does anyone come to mind that you could shout out who believed in your leadership skills that contributed to being where you are right now?
1: Oh, boy. Certainly my camp director from summer camp, to bring that back up. My AP psychology teacher, who also ran our research program in school. Certainly my parents. And and that is a pretty good crew. I'd say there are probably other people that sure. I'm missing. But yeah. those come to me very quickly.
0: Awesome. Okay. Okay is there one tool or strategy that you personally use for staying organized and effective in your work and in your life?
1: Google Calendar. Okay, Everything goes on Google Calendar. If it's not scheduled on my calendar, it will not get done. To-do lists are wonderful, but if you don't actually schedule time to do the things on your to-do list, they don't get done. So I'm going to go with Google Calendar as my... Most important tool.
0: Isn't it shocking that some people still use paper calendars? I don't know how. I, I, I actually,
1: I love paper calendars. And I would use an at-a-glance paper yeah. calendar if I didn't, like if I didn't have three kids and I wasn't schlepping things all over the place, yeah. I still would use a paper calendar. Yeah. But realistically, it just wouldn't work because I would, it, it'd be hard to take it everywhere. Yeah.
0: I do write out my day the night before. So I do k- travel with a count cal- paper calendar of every Ooh. day. That is very organized. I recommend it. I have it like written out by what time I have to leave places, what, you know, I can show you right here. Our listeners won't be able to hear, but it shows what time I have to leave <laughs> and where I need to stop in between keeps my brain organized.
1: It is very challenging. And I bet in your calendar each day, there's very little room.
0: for anything that comes
1: up. And I think that's probably a challenge. You schedule out the whole day and then all of a sudden there's something you have to deal with. Totally. We should start scheduling that.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we should. I call that a domino day where all the dominoes have to fall just right. And if one thing Uh, doesn't go smoothly, it's just, it it has to. It has to go as planned on those days. Do you have a favorite leadership book, podcast or resource that you go to?
1: I'd say no. I, I... my favorite podcast is the Freakonomics podcast, which is, you know, probably pretty pedestrian and, and common. But I don't know, I guess I like to hear about other businesses and other how things work. And it does make me think about my own practice and my own shop quite a bit. But I probably should get more into like leadership things versus just learning about other businesses. I'm just going to start listening to all the guests on your podcast. Exactly.
0: That's what follow the leaders podcast can be. (laughs) Exactly. Two last questions. Finish this sentence. One thing people don't know or realize about my work is.
1: Oh boy. I I was going to say that I love it, but I think people do know that. So (laughs) I don't know. Let's just stick with that.
0: Okay. Fair enough. And then the last question is if you had a day off of work And off of accomplishing things, which I know seems very unlikely for you because you enjoy getting things done and you have a very busy family life. But if you had a day off where you could not accomplish any tasks at work or at home, what is one activity that you would do in the Madison area and one place you'd go to get something to eat?
1: Oh, shoot. I was going to say I got to catch up on uh, Mrs. Maisel.
0: Oh, That's, well, you that would that would be an activity in the Madison area.
1: <laughs> you sit at
0: home and watch TV.
1: Uh, maybe I, I really I want to learn how to play the piano. So that may be a, accomplishing something which may not answer the question, but it is recreational. I've never really had piano lessons in my life, and my kid is doing it now, and it seems kind of cool and I like music. so that would be fun. And where would I go to eat is a great question in Madison. I'd probably go to Red Sushi because you can never really get in there or get a reservation. And (laughs) maybe if I went in the middle of the day, I'd be able to go.
0: Well, we just need to schedule this day off far enough in advance that you can make a reservation.
1: That's true. That's true. But that would be my place, I think.
0: Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to tell listeners about your organization. Please fill us in on how people can learn more about your company and your nonprofit and reach you if they needed to.
1: Yeah. Anyone can find us online at galloned.com. Our nonprofit is gallonscholars.org and gallon is spelled G-A-L-I-N. And anyone is welcome to email me at Zach, Z-A-C-H at galloned.com.
0: Awesome. We will link everything in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you so much for talking with me, Zach. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Even in your in your dadding that you're doing today, holding your very sweet baby, who who is a wonderful participant in this podcast. Well,
1: it's a domino day, and this domino has has <laughs> gone perfectly. She slept through the whole thing.
0: I don't think I got a photo release from her, but
1: I, I think your, your consent will have to do. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with me. And we will be back next time with another inspiring leader. Thank you so much for listening. Follow the Leaders is produced by Lit Path Studios and music is by Shane Ivers. You can hear more about this show and all the other podcasts at Litpath Studios by going to www.litpathstudios.com.